Hey there, listeners. I'm working on a special mailbag episode where I answer your questions. If you have anything you'd like to ask me, just send me an email, sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'll read all your questions on air in a future episode. Thanks. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic Insiders. There's something for everyone. Discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern legacy and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune in to watch their live paper and moto streams at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. So, Michelle, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Michelle Rapp. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Warthos podcast, Bulborg Waves. I've been playing Magic for about a couple of years now. I'm just finally getting to the swing of things competitively. I'm going to be discussing the color white, which is a color I identify the most with as a person on the color pie. Sir, could you please introduce yourself? My name is Zach Brady. I'm a vigilant caster, streamer, and content producer who champions fair and balanced magic through all formats. Doing all right. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for taking a little bit of time to talk to me on this podcast. Yeah, I figure uh, your project wouldn't really be complete if I wasn't involved with White, right? (laughs) That's correct. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. This is the first episode in a five-part series on the five colors of Magic the Gathering. White, blue, black, red, and green, better known as Wooberg. In this episode, we're talking about the white color of mana with podcaster and MTG personality Michelle Rapp, streamer and commentator Zach Brady, and legendary pro player and champion of white weenie Craig Wesco. What are the values of white as a color identity in the game of Magic? What are the mechanics associated with white? Which are the most notable white cards? We talk about the history of white and also where we think it's going in the future of magic game design. I hope you enjoy my conversations with Michelle Rapp, Zach Brady, and Craig Wesco about the color white. Michelle, why did you choose to talk about this particular color? When I first started playing magic, And I started looking at the different colors and I realized, oh, okay, so what is going on here when I look at the back of a card? There are these five little dots. Oh, they are two different color. I wonder what that's all about. And so I ended up reading a lot about and watching a lot of YouTube videos about the color pie and what it was like. And it was actually a really perfect time to get into the game because it was right around Origins. So, uh, of course, for Origins pre-release, you had to pick a color. Um, and this is no longer the case for pre-release, but back then that was the case. And I saw that the color white was, you know, full of things that I really liked, you know, angels, horses, and at, it was like a Lisa Frank commercial, but, you know, without all of the saturated bright neon colors. And now there's also like soldiers and people looking really determined in the distance and helping each other. So it, it was something that really appealed to me as a person. I also really liked the fact that white is a color that desires peace and order and structure. So in my real life job, I'm someone who basically is HR and recruiting and is that person in the office that people come to and when they're like, uh, this guy broke the rules. And so I tend to be that kind of person who likes order and structure and rules. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love that color. I chose it for that pre-release. Um, it still remains probably my favorite color as a human being. Um, it's not my, necessarily my favorite color to play, but um, yeah, as a person, it's very much a, a color I identify with. Um, a lot of my friends say that I am the most mono-white human being they have ever met. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah, no, it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. 
Zach, so today we're going to be talking about the color white. It is first in the Wooberg series. Could you tell us a little bit to our listeners why white is the best color? White is the color that improves all other colors. Blue is cards like Pull From Tomorrow, but you're far better off running a Sphinx's Revelation, right? Green rarely gets high-impact flyers, but have no fear, splash some white, you get Cigar to Host of Herons. One of the best black cards is Damnation. It's based off of a white card called Wrath of God. Red just wants to hurl damage willy-nilly at your face, but you're far better off with things like Deflecting Palm and Lightning Helix. That's really interesting. Yeah, so it's, it seems that white does have these qualities that a lot of other colors kind of just like build off of, right? You were talking about how Damnation started off as Wrath of God. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting adaptation that's happened with white over the years. And it's, uh, it really helps improve and get the best out of every color. I often see white as having these really quintessential um, abilities like exile and flying and vigilance and first strike and, you know, wrath effects and things like that. White has also been really defined as a, as a law keeping color. So it's always about like uh, enchantments. It's all about like setting rules and like making other players not be able to do certain things. All of the best hate cards are in white. Definitely. Yeah. I, I always relate. Uh, I like to relate every color to the first four cards that were ever printed in their colors. Uh, so for white, the first one in alphabetical order is, you know, animate wall. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, the next one is Armageddon. And then you have balance. And that really helps encompass really what white is. Armageddon came before Wrath of God or they came about the same time? Uh, so they were both in alpha and alpha didn't have set lists as far as a uh, numbered set list. So everything's alphabetical. So you have uh, Animate Wall, then Armageddon, then Balance, and then Benalish Hero. There <laughs> are four good white cards. <laughs> four good white cards. <laughs> you know, it's so weird that very early on, like the first few white cards balance, right? It, it makes you sacrifice things. It does. It does. But the main thing is that it wants you and your opponent to be on the same level. And even Wrath of God does that to an extent. You want everything on the battlefield cleared, a nice symmetrical effect, return the game to an even board position, and then progress from there. It's really interesting because from the very get-go, white was all about clearing the battlefield. So Armageddon was a board wipe for lands. Wrath of God was a board wipe for creatures. Balance just made everyone sacrifice everything. And equalize cards in hand. Which is such an interesting effect. It's like an anti-card draw, but like white doesn't specifically, isn't like specifically like black, like discard effects, but it still kind of does that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then, of course, white, the way it tries to get advantage is by having all of its cards, like Banalish Hero, be a little bit more innocuous at first. You know, it's a one, one for one. But then give it an ability like First Strike or Banding in this case, which helps all your innocuous creatures all of a sudden join together and make a stronger force than your opponents. Yeah, and you're touching on this concept, which uh, a lot of players who play white know, is just like white is very known for being like a white weenie color. Mm -hmm. And so there's this concept of like the synergy, right? Like one creature on its own isn't that great, but all the creatures put together are fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Directly to that point. Zach, tell us, why did you choose to talk about the color white? So I chose white because I do feel like white is kind of an underrated color. Uh, a lot of people like to dog on white because it doesn't do anything big or flashy. and You don't get the brainstorms and force wills. Uh, but what you do get is you get cards that do everything, right? From Karmic Guide and Resurrection being two of the better recursion effects. You also have cards that are removals and sweepers with Path to Exile and Swords to Plowshare and Wrath of God. Uh, you also have, you know, cards that go get you artifacts and enchantment like Enlightened Tutor. You get to kind of do a little bit of everything. Do you, do you want your opponent to stop doing their degenerate storm and big combo stuff? Well, you have your Death and Taxes decks with Thalia Guardian Thraben and you have, you know, Mother of Runes to help protect your creatures. You also have some of the best Planeswalkers in the game between Elspeth and Gideon. They've both dominated a lot of their standards for most of their printings, Gideon being the, uh, <laughs> the one who's had a couple bad printings, but Elspeth in particular has had zero bad printings of that card. That's right. That's right. It's it's interesting to see the power level of white. Um, you know, usually white is that pretty boring color. You know, we kind of lump that together with green sometimes. We're like, oh, it's going to have a few enchantments and a little couple of weenie first strikey creatures. And maybe we'll have a couple of flying angels. But white does have some very powerful powerful effects. We were talking about board wipes. We were talking about swords to plowshares, path to exile. We we're talking about Stoneforge Mystic and Lightning Tutor. Like those are really powerful cards. Exactly. And I mean, and they also get a lot of value out of their kind of pretty innocuous cards. Uh, again, Thraben Inspector, uh, Lingering Souls, cards of that nature. They've really helped come along. Even Oblivion Ring was kind of again innocuous at first. What is this card? What does it do? Why is this good? And then as people started to play with them, they went, oh, this effect is really good. We really like these cards. So, Zach, why do you enjoy playing this particular color the most? 
I like playing white a lot, mainly because it does go with everything. It depends on what strategy you want to play. Did you want to play a big creature? Well, you still have a Chroma Angel of Wrath or Avacyn of Angel of Hope. You get these big, giant, flying creatures that your opponent has to deal with or they lose to it. Or you can go again the White Weenie route. You get to let your rebel yell out and you get to go play Lin Civy and go fetch up all these little dudes that get to help each other and tutor each other out. Uh, you also get good Planeswalkers again, Gideon and Elspeth being two of the big ones. Uh, of course, Olive Zendikar was in standard for a long while. Elspeth's Sun's champion, still always a blast to cast. You get better effects like uh, Supreme Verdicts and Sphinx's Revelation if you want to go into the blue route, get you to draw your cards, gain you a little bit of life. You just get a lot of interesting ways and you get some pretty unique cards. Uh, one of my favorite being Baron Glory that got printed uh, you know, into white where it's a very interesting effect and makes you think and have to work around it. You were talking a little bit about how white enhances some other colors and we've seen that more recently with some of the multicolored sets with Return to Ravnica block, we had Khan's block, and then also right now like Battle for Zendikar, um, some of the newer sets, uh, the newest um, uh, Innistrad set. We have a mixture of colors and then we, whenever we're splashing white, it always kind of gets like a kick. It always gets a little bit better. I'm, I'm thinking about cards like Siege Rhino. I'm thinking about like Voice of Resurgence, Sphinx's Revelation. I mean, these are pretty powerful cards. Oh, certainly. And I mean, you look at the last three tricolor legendary creatures we've gotten. They are all Naya. And most of them are red green with that little splash of white thrown in there to make it better. Michelle, could you give some perspective about white on the color pie? Maybe a little tidbit about something about white that other people or other players might not know about. Everybody likes to focus a lot on how white is a boring color. It's kind of like the house Hufflepuff in Harry Potter. Everybody looks at Hufflepuff and they're like, oh, yeah, that's not, that's a house where we kind of put everybody else. If you're not super smart or if you're not really brave or if you're not really cunning, you kind of just end up in you know the rubbish bin that is the compost tea that is Hufflepuff. And I, I do think, think sometimes people give white a little bit of a hard time because it's where all the goody two shoes end up a lot in the game or they're the, they're the fun police or so to speak. But I, I think that human beings just innate nature, we actually really crave structure and we crave order. And I think a lot of us do crave peace. I mean, when we go to work every day, when we see, you know, our friends, when we have interactions with other people, there's, it, there's comfort in knowing that there is a certain way to do something. You know, this is how I cut my sandwich, you know, and there are people who will argue with you that diagonal is better than horizontal. And that's a different conversation for another day. But um, I think that people do give white the short shrift on, on that particular regard. And so one thing to be okay with is the fact that order is okay. You know, rules are there for a reason and they're there to help keep people safe. And that's not always a bad thing. I feel like I'm giving my HR spiel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we have an employee handbook. <laughs> <laughs> So next, we want to talk about, Zach, what you know about this color that perhaps other players don't know. Are there certain things about white that you think make it stand out? For me, it's it's those innocuous cards. You know, it's, it's your Thraben Inspectors and Lingering Souls. It's amazing how many games those cards on their own have won over the history of, of Magic, especially in Modern and Legacy. They're just such good cards, but they don't really come at a very flashy interface. You know, you don't, you don't get to, you know, draw a million magic cards or you don't get to, you know, have this uncounterable hexproof creature. You're just, I'm going to make two 1-1 flyers and that's all I'm doing. Two 1-1 flyers for three, flash it back for two, and that will win you games. You get to have good, powerful hate cards as we talked about earlier as well with things like Krakus in uh, Legacy. And then you also have, you know, Thalia's doing lots of work in all formats. You know, you just have these cards that help you stay on par with your opponent no matter what they're trying to do. So we want to talk about some of the mechanics that are quintessential to white as a color identity. It's one of the reasons why I love magic so much. Uh, there's a lot of, let's take these philosophical concepts and actually illustrate them with gameplay, in this case, vigilance. And so a lot of people look at it as a pretty boring vanilla mechanic, but it offers so much versatility. It means that your creature can not only attack, but it can also defend. And there's a lot of versatility in that, right? Because it means that it's keeping you safe. It's keeping the order. It's keeping the structure and the way things are on the board. It doesn't change its position on the board. Um, and it doesn't change anything else really about itself. Um, as a result, it's, it's just sort of um, I don't want to say I don't want to say like a stagnant place on the board, but it's certainly a very solid, immovable object, and I think that's very much what white is all about. Um, it's there as a as a pillar, as a presence on the on the board. 
I know that everybody hates spells that only give life, but it basically gives you time. Um, that's how life is generally treated in a game of magic. The, the more life you have, the harder and it is for someone to knock you down to zero. So it gives you that sense of resilience, uh, that sense of continuity that other colors aren't really super into. They're kind of really more into just getting in there or, or tricking you or just like bashing down. Um, white is really a color of attrition by standing fast and firm by gaining life. You give yourself the opportunity to build up your board to really give yourself more time in order to impose that kind of order and structure. So for me, I have essentially four, right? You have protections, exile effects, pacifier, arrest effects, and anthems. So we'll start with protection, right? And we've had them since almost the dawn of magic, but the most common one most people know is of Mother of Runes. does a lot of work in Legacy helping protect your creatures, but White's been known for protection for a long time. You had your Circle of Protection series as well, uh, which were just enchantments that you could then pay a mana and get protection from the color of whatever protection or or enchantment that was. And it was very revolutionary. We've gotten rid of protection over the years because it kind of started to be used as like a hedge against random matchups, it almost felt like. You know, you'd have a creature with protection from black, and now your opponent happens to be on black, and it's really good against them. So we've seen less protection over the years, but it's something that white has been known for. So they've modified protections now for white into making things like indestructible or parental damage effects Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Uh, Protection from a color was also a little bit confusing for some new players because it was like, you have to not target it and it also can't be blocked and it doesn't take any damage sources from it and like auras fall off of it, like little things like that, right? So I think that they did try to be really careful about um, only giving really powerful cards that protection from a particular color and then they were really careful about giving things like indestructible and prevent damage and things. And we saw it go a little bit too far sometimes with things like Progenitus, which has protection from everything or True Name Nemesis being kind of a, a main dog where it's protection from essentially your opponent. <laughs> I don't know anybody who plays that card in a multiplayer format. It's always just, I'm going to go 1v1. It's protection from you. Right, right. Yeah. So next we have exile effects. And white is very good at exiling cards, but most importantly, more like from a removal standpoint. So white is not, not necessarily going to remove a card from your hand and exile it, but it's definitely going to shoot it down like swords to plowshares or path to exile. Yeah, exactly. You have essentially three types of those kind of exile effects, right? You have your path to exile swords to plowshare effect. You have your banisher priest type effect where it's a staple to a creature. And then you also have your O-ring effect where it's on an enchantment. And we've seen those time and time again. I think we've had a O-ring type effect in standard for now years. It was really popular at first. And then we kind of saw it and we were like, oh, this is a pretty good idea, right? It started off as O-ring and then it turned into fiend hunter and then it turned into banisher priest. And I mean, there's several iterations of it. You know, we had like chained to the rocks for a little while. We also had cast out or something. like. I mean, we had a couple of them, right? Exactly. Yeah. And they, they really started to work on the wording on the cards to help make them more intuitive to play. Uh, one of the things that they did is they changed instead of having two different triggers, one for when it comes into play and one when it leaves, be one solid trigger. That way you can't have shenanigans where you sack it off with one trigger on the stack to get the second trigger just to exile something for good. Then there was also changes where you can only target your opponent's thing or things like detention sphere where it said non-detention sphere things to prevent those board states where, you know, you have three of them doing a loop. Right. And of course, the most popular of that exile effect is swords to plowshares is for one white. It's an instant. You exile the target creature and then it's controller. So you or your opponent, you gain life equal to its toughness. And that was pretty awesome. Definitely. I mean, some of the, the art as well for like the Swords to Plowshares are very well known. You you have Old Man with a Stick. And then my personal favorite, though, is the Ice Age, uh, which is an actual Sword to Plowshare. <laughs> <laughs> an actual Swords to Plowshare. And of course, uh, in uh, Conflux, we got Path to Exile. Yeah. And so that's our modern version of essentially the, the type of fact. They realized that gaining life was not that much of a detriment. Uh, if anything, that was great. Everybody was willing to do that. So they started to say, okay, well, this will ramp your opponent out of land. And again, it's it's white. It's kind of an innocuous thing. You're like, oh yeah, give my opponent a, a basic land tapped. That's no biggie. And then you realize you lost because your opponent played six drops when you were playing five drops. And uh, it's it's a very interesting effect. It's very, very strong. But yeah, it definitely has a little bit of fairness and, and balance put in there. Right. And we're also seeing the newest version of that, Settle the Wreckage, which a lot of people have been calling Wrath to Exile. Yeah, that card is great. Right now, it's fine and standard. Um, again, you know about it, so you can play around it a little bit, uh, which is kind of nice. It targets the, the player, not the uh, the creatures themselves, which is real nice. 
in eternal formats like modern and, and legacy, man, that card's a blowout. You can't afford to play around it. And when it, when you get got by it, you get got pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think people really expect it because people don't expect to be playing some formatted sweeper spell. But then again, it is an instant. Yeah, it's an instant. And, you know, of course, the creatures have to be attacking as well. Uh, so that's a little bit awkward. But turns out, even in eternal formats, people tend to attack each other a lot. Okay. So, next we have Pacify and Arrest Effects, basically named after the old-fashioned enchantment pacifism, right? It's, exactly. It's a two-drop, and it just makes creatures not be able to attack. Yeah, can't attack or block. Hey, I'm just not going to participate in combat. And that's that's a very white ability. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, they become slowly Arrest Effects as well as creatures start getting activated abilities, and so they prevent them from doing that as well. It's not like we see pacify and arrest effects like attached to every single white creature, but definitely you every once in a while you get like that blinding mage creature and it kind of is a, a pacify because it taps it down. So for every turn you can tap down your opponent's creatures. Exactly. Yeah. And you have all those jailer kind of effects is the same. They started to thematically put them into that route. And I think we, again, we've had probably a pacify type effect in every single limited environment for probably going on three, four years now. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And what is our last quintessential white mechanic? Our last quintessential white mechanic is Anthems. Anthems, yes. Yeah, so we've had Anthems for a while. Glorious Anthem being our, our probably our oldest and iconic one. Just gave all your creatures plus one, plus one. But that kind of effect, especially staple to an enchantment, has been around for a long time in white. And it's been a very interesting uh, upgrade, you know, and it helps make all your little dudes bigger. And that's the whole point. Your entire team should be together, unified as one. It's really interesting from a synergy standpoint, because at first you're just like, okay, I just dropped a three drop enchantment, all of my creatures get plus one plus one. And that's kind of good. But when you've got two of them, it's like, whoa, you know, and they're really pesky now. Oh, yeah. And they start adding on more abilities to them, right? You know, Vigilance being one of the key ones, a nice, good white ability that's been around for a while, that's, you know, not have to tap when you attack. And so things like uh, always or always watching was a great example of that where it came in as like, hey, by the way, all my things are also now going to be able to block. And that really helps you win a race. Right. It's really troublesome when you're trying to edge out your opponent one creature at a time. You're really relying on combat and then you're trying to block profitably and attack profitably and you're also trying to evade. And then now that 2-2 is now a 3-3 or that 3-2 is now a 4-3. I mean, that's a clock right there. Yeah, it's it gets real out of hand pretty quickly. And the main thing is it also forces your opponent to come down onto the board and start trying to put out blockers. And that really lines them up right for those, you know, kind of wrath effects. Hey, by the way, I've stopped playing cards two, three turns ago, but you had to catch up and now I can clear them away and start over. I think from a theory standpoint, Anthem effects also make um, removal worse, right? When you have burn, that's like one point of toughness that, that is like getting out of range of burn. And even when you're looking at like Doomblade effects that just straight up kill a creature, well, if you're playing a white weenie deck and you're dropping five creatures or two creatures per turn and they're all kind of crummy creatures, but they're all being made really great with a Gideon emblem or an Anthem effect. You're just, it just doesn't feel like value anymore. No, yeah. And they very much balance these creatures, you know, the power and toughness based on their covered mana cost, and they try to make them fair and balanced. And then when you add an Anthem effect, you've thrown off the math into your favor. That's really interesting. And, you know, I almost forgot about uh, that Gideon emblem because uh, Gideon allies Zendikar for, for minus four, right? Yeah. And he comes in at four. So yeah, yeah. you can you can just have a four mana permanent emblem, you know, that you get to always have on your side of the battlefield for the rest of the game. Your creatures are just bigger. Deal with it. Yeah. It's very unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, what do you think the role of white is for the game and for the color identities? White is the color that provides basically safety and security. It is a place where everything is known, everything is transparent, everybody knows their place, and there is safety in knowing that. There's nothing that's unexpected, there's nothing that's unpredictable. Um, and it will do everything it can in order to keep that order and keep that peace and keep the status quo. Um, now, that can be sometimes really, really oppressive. Like I said before in my example, white is an important color on the board because it provides that sense of security and safety. It provides a um, a lot of mechanisms by which, you know, players can check other colors and basically 
allow, you know, their own board to slowly build. It allows um, for a more like army based strategy where you, you know, if you're not like someone who likes to invest all of their power in one creature, um, if you like someone who likes to win slow and steady route, um, it definitely gives that kind of player uh, a nice strategy, a nice out. And so it's a, it's a really great color for that particular reason. And it, it definitely provides a fantastic counterpoint to a lot of the other colors of the board, black and red, for example, the enemy colors. Uh, they're all about the self. They're all about uh, trying to gain power or just doing things in, on an individualistic level, whereas white is all about trying to care for everybody else um, and incrementally gain advantage. So I feel like white has become more of a support role, uh, but that's not a bad thing either. Again, you may not see mono white decks taking over like you may be used to with, again, things like uh, the Rebel deck way back when. But what you will see is you'll see it in sideboards for hate cards. You'll see it in the main deck to give yourself that slight edge. Again, the Sphinx's Revelations and Supreme Verdicts that you won't need in the main. Uh, you need your Path to Exiles and Sword to Plow Share effects as well. Uh, so you'll start to see it more and more in a lot of decks as kind of just a support color to help really emphasize what the deck wants to be doing. But going beyond white just being a support color, why do you feel like we need white even in the game? We need that because historically white's been a color of balance, and we need that balance in this game. We can't rely on spot removal from black or blue mages getting to draw all the cards in the world. You need those balancing effects to keep everybody in check, make sure everybody gets to play a game of magic the way that Mark Rosewater intended, right? (laughs) (laughs) The way Mark Rosewater intended. Michelle, can you explain to us why we need the color white in the game? We need the color white in the game because otherwise it's just going to be pure chaos. <laughs> uh, and that's just not fun. Games have to have rules <laughs> and white is there to provide them and to help enforce them. So let's just say you have a color, like you take out the color white. Let's look at the other colors and, and see what they're all about. Blue is all about, well, we want knowledge. We'll do not anything for knowledge. And then black is saying, oh, we just want power. We really want to do anything we can in order to get there. Red's like, I'm going to go to Cancun and drink a lot of margaritas and not care about getting back. I'm going to lose all my money and all my underwear because uh, red is impulsive. And and green is like, well, we've got some order, but it's like a natural hippy-dippy order. You know, it's not something that requires a lot of intellectual thought. And, and that's kind of just chaos, basically. I mean, green's the closest thing you're going to get, but it's going to be like you know, of a food chain kind of crazy situation, which doesn't allow for a lot of interesting introspection. White is a color that basically looks at all of this and says, hey, maybe it's not right that all the weak people get destroyed all the time. People who aren't physically strong deserve a seat at the table. They deserve to have their voices heard. Um, people who maybe are disadvantaged in other ways should also have their voices heard. And without white around, all the other colors would basically, I imagine, just eat themselves into like in some crazy free for all, I don't know, reality TV show crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like The Apprentice meets like or Housewives of Orange County meets Survivor. It would just be absolutely insane. Oh, complete chaos. Michelle, could you share with us some of your favorite white cards? So some of my favorite cards in white are first, Humility. It is wonderful to play during Commander, and I know a lot of people are going to hate me for it. But it is an enchantment that costs two white-white, and it says all creatures lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 1-1. So the reason why I adore this is because it levels the playing field so hard for everyone on the board. Um, it basically creates a situation where everyone is equal. And, and that's what white's all about. It just wants, you know, equality. It wants peace. It wants order. And it's such a great illustration of what the color white is all about at its heart. It's a great equalizer in that way. So it's a really impressive card as well, because it basically tells everybody you're not allowed to have individual creatures. Everybody has to have the same creature with the same power and same toughness. So deal with it. That's something that my table gently hates me for whenever I play it. So another really fantastic card is Linvala, Keeper of Silence. Um, she is an angel. And oh my goodness, when I started playing Magic, I was obsessed with angels because who 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 shouldn't be? They're, they're beautiful, wonderful creatures. So um, and Linvala, Keeper of Silence is also a white creature. 
um, that costs two and white, white. Um, she is a legendary creature, so can be a commander if anyone really wants her to be. And she has flying and activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control can't be activated. So you may notice a running theme here with the cards I like. It, it basically says you can't do the thing that you thought you could do as long as she's on the board, because again, you know, she's imposing this rule on everybody else on the board, but it is equal. So, you know, I can't activate my abilities. No one else can activate their abilities. We've just got to figure out other ways to win. And, you know, that's okay because I've got a three, four flyer that dampens everything else on the board right now. It's pretty fantastic. Probably my last favorite card is Nevermore. Uh, it's from Innis original Innistrad block. And it's, let me see, uh, one white and a white, and it's an enchantment. As Nevermore enters the battlefield, name a non-land card, and the name card can't be cast. Again, it's about rules making. And in this case, the rule is that card, maybe you've got like a killer planeswalker, like Sword Markov, that can reduce my life to 10. You can't play that card anymore. You can't even cast it. It's just going to sit in your head. So again, it's a really fantastic card that um, is, is a really nice little thing in your back pocket in order to basically oppress other people and keep everybody in line as you know as you gradually get to your win condition. Zach, what are some of your favorite white creatures? So my favorite card in Magic, bar none, is Karmic Guide. Mm -hmm. I love the card. I love its art. I love its effect. Card is just fantastic. It's the only card that I think every time I see it and get to cast it, I smile a little on the inside and go, this card is fantastic. It's great value. It does exactly what you want. It's got a little bit of protection, a little bit of flying. It kills itself, which is typically what you want with the echo effect, uh, with that kind of ability. It's just an overall fantastic card. But I will also give a shout out to Chroma Angel of Wrath. She was one of my favorites when I first got into the game. Just a big no-nonsense, I'm going to stop you, black and red, from doing the nonsense you wanted to do. And what are some of your favorite instants and sorceries? So my instants and sorceries have to be Swords to Plowshare and Path to Exile. They're just efficient spot removal. They're iconic and they're played in every format they can be. Do you have any favorite sorceries? Definitely Wrath of God. I would have to go with the full art uh, version of it because it matches my full art damnations. <laughs> However, I will give a special shout out to uh, Titus Lunter for his invocation artwork. If you've seen it, go check it out. It, it's fantastic. It's literally a masterpiece. Wow. Okay. Although it is rare for white to actually just say destroy everything, it occasionally does. I mean, Wrath of God. Wrath of God is an incredible card that just destroys everything. But it's actually very equal about it, like we said before. It's not, for example, um, in Garrick's Wake, for example, that destroys all of your opponent's creatures and planeswalkers. And that's just very, very one-sided, right? Which is very black. But with white, it takes care of everything. It wipes the board absolutely clean. It scours it clean. And so you start with basically back, you're back to nothing um, across the board. And that way, white can basically rebuild. In that sense, white is basically saying, if I can't actually stop you, then I can sacrifice myself in order to do so. And, and yet there are a couple of cards actually within white that do that self-sacrificing um, thing. For example, I think Pariah, that's a really, really big one. And then there was also, let's see, um, there was another one in recently in Our Devastation. I think it was um, a sorcery or an enchantment that you could basically turn one of your creatures into Pariah uh, and redirect all possible damage oh, to it. Oh, yes. Gosh, what was it? Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this is Pariah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's basically Pariah. And, and there are definitely self-sacrificing cards like that instead of you know, basically just helping you save um, the rest of your board and the rest of everything else uh, by sacrificing one creature. And that's that's also another thing about white. You know, it's willing to basically sacrifice a person, an individual for the good of the group. You know, that's where we see cards like that, basically. Although, you know, we do see the dark side of that with Elish Norn, for example, it's actually interesting that we see a more kind of xenophobic side of white in this particular instance, where white is very much like uh, taking that whole thing where they don't want other influences to come in to sort of the nth degree. So in this case, instead of just protecting you against all other creatures and colors, she actively basically does a minor sweep of the board so long as she's there because all of your opponent's creatures get negative two, negative two, whereas yours are then bolstered by two. 
That's so interesting what you're just saying about this whole xenophobic effect, because it's like a permanent zealous persecution. But instead of plus one, plus one, minus one, minus one, you're getting plus mm-hmm. two, plus two, your team, and then your opponents are getting minus two, minus two. So it's like this very zealous <laughs> style, like an uber zealous persecution tacked onto a body. Basically, that's that's what Ella Shore is all about. As a character, she is basically there to enforce her understanding of what Newphorexia should be all about. And, you know, she eventually takes over Newphorexia by dominating all the other Praetors using, you know, her structure and her dogma. And that's sort of the dark side of white, really. I mean, Ella Shorn is, I think, the, the perfect example of the dark side of white, where it's someone who takes order and structure and their way of life and is so inflexible. And that coupled with the belief that what they doing, what they're doing is best for everyone creates this inquisitorial presence that completely oppresses and dominates and eliminates everything else on the board. So there's no room for individuality. Everybody has to stay within that particular structure. White is also very much known for its enchantments, so there's probably lots of great enchantments in White. There are lots of great enchantments in White. Uh, you know, you have your Starfield, the Nixes, and you just, there's so many good White enchantments. I honestly can't think of them all off the top of my head, but I can remember one iconic one. So I got into magic at about Guild Pact, and Debtor's Knell was the first card I was open through the, the spoiler book that you get with the fat packs, and I saw Debtor's Knell and went, I want that card. That card looks amazing, and I've been in there ever since. Debtor's Knell is an amazing card. For those of you who don't know what Debtor's Knell is, it's actually like what, like a seven drop enchantment, but it's a it's a global enchantment. You drop it and it's like at the end of every turn or the beginning of every upkeep, you basically take something from your graveyard and put it into play. Exactly. Just a nice, simple recursion effect and the art is fantastic. Yeah, it's very cool. I remember uh, trying to build an EDH deck back in the day and I just was like this card exists. And I was like trying to hunt it down. It was like $8. It was like kind of expensive. So it was like really hard for me to get one. But I was like, oh my God, this is so powerful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it was fantastic. So I remember flipping through that book. And I, I'm a big fan of art, especially early on. That's really what drove, drove me into magic because I love the cards. I love the mechanics. But man, the art really brought me to certain cards. Yeah. And what about your favorite artifacts? I mean, this is uh, kind of new because back in the day, artifacts were always, you know, non-colored, colorless. But then recently we started having colored artifacts. So what are some of your favorite white artifacts? So favorite white artifacts has to be like Porcelain Legionnaire. Oh, I, just, I was going to say that. Yeah. I, I have a special, you know, fiction in my heart. I actually played a little bit in Modern uh, and people always have to read that card again going, wasn't this like a draft common? You're like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, don't worry about it. This card's pretty good. Two mana, you know, three, one first striker uh, with, you know, a Phyrexian mana cost in there. We're not going to worry about that. And uh, it was just really good in value. But artifacts on the whole, I think honorary white artifacts. That has to be the sword cycle for Mirrodin. You get to fetch them with Stoneforge Mystic. They come into play and have cool abilities. I'd say Gita at this point is also all a very white equipment. Sure, the germ token is black on Batterskull, but again... You never hard casting Batterskull just for Batterskull. You're bringing in with Stoneforge Mystic. So I think all those are honorary white artifacts. Yeah, they do feel very much like they would be a white artifact because they they like gain life. They like do multiple abilities. They recurse things. They have protections. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. You're right. It does feel very much like in the white color identity. It's definitely bending it a bit, but. Hey, again, I. when was the last time you hard cast a sword without having Stoneforge Mystic in your deck? Like, I'm never. Say never. Never. Yeah, like, <laughs> never. Yeah. What about your favorite white abilities or planeswalkers? So, Elspeth is bar none my favorite planeswalker. I love Elspeth. I've played her in every standard she's been legal in, and she's always been great. I am counting down the days until they will eventually bring her back. Because she died. Spoiler alert, she died. But she's supposed to come back. I yeah. think she's going to come back. I think so as well. I mean, the, the key words there in, in uh, the interview, I believe it was with Mark Rosewater. He said, you know, on Theros, death is only the beginning. Mm, and it sounds a lot like Almond Cat too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of us were hoping. <laughs> okay, Zach, let's talk about some ways that you can use white while playing Magic. What are some of your favorite plays within the color identity of white? So we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you have casting Restoration Angel with Blinking Thrag Tuss. Ticking up Elspeth's Sun's Champion, making three guys every turn, and then eventually getting to make them all like plus two, plus two, and flying is just great. Uh, equipping Thalia, Guardian of Thraben with a Dita, and bashing down combo players. You get to make infinite cats when you combo with Sahili. You get to win games of two-headed giant with Felidar Sovereign because you just have more life than your opponents. You get to stop all the shenanigans with stony silences and rest in pieces. And you get to engineer unique ways to win with cards like Baron Glory and Modern. Other colors, they don't get the fun cards. Only white. 
It's really interesting because for white cards, that combo is actually just a singular card. <laughs> you know, like the combo is just to play Stony Silence or the combo is just to flashback Lingering Souls. It's like you don't really need to do like a second thing. It's just like in itself, it's very potent. In that sense, it, white also feels kind of linear, but it's linear because it's taking a lock step, but in like a really important way. Exactly. Again, it just doesn't try to do what it does flashy, but what it does is efficient and clean. And for the most part, fair and balanced. I say for the most part, you do have some degenerate stuff that happens, but the name of the game is balance. What would you say are some of the most unbalanced white cards? The one that comes to mind for me is Elish Norn. That thing is super unfair. I agree. Elish Norn never feels good when you're the opponent. You know, it's just going to take over a game and beat you a lot of times. Ironically enough, the card balance often does not feel balanced. Uh, normally, because you found ways to uh, remove your artifacts and your lands. And again, there's a modern deck that uses Restore Balance to do that, uh, where your opponents just don't get to have anything, but you get to have all the fun. So there are definitely white cards like that that are, have been construed into a non-fair fashion. Zach, what do you see as a trend in the future for white as a color identity? So I definitely think that we're going to see more and more support roles for white, uh, rather than it being the main focus of a good, powerful mechanic. Again, I think we're going to see it splashed into a lot more decks where, again, you're not going to see the mono white deck doing well at, you know, at a pro tour or a grand prix. What you're going to see though is you're going to see a lot of black white and green white and blue white and all these other splashes of the color that then go on to do well. The other thing you'll see is you'll see good role players like Thraben inspectors get played through their entire standard and you picked it up as a common during a draft and went, yeah, okay, this is fine. It might make my 40 cards for my, for my draft pool or my pre-release. But then you end up realizing you get to play it through constructed formats for the next two years. That's what white does. Okay, everyone, we're going to have more talking about white in Wooburg. But first, a word from our sponsors. Kitchen Table Magic is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. In the past three seasons, the show has been downloaded over 100,000 times and has reached the far corners of the world. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. As you know, I give out gifts, little mementos for my interviews with my Patreon supporters. If you'd like to receive signed cards and other cool things, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future for your support. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. Kitchen Table Magic has been all about the origins of the game and the members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games are so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for weekly Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games with their friendly staff that allow local Magic communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They have great online reviews that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of Magic cards, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern, commander, legacy, and standard staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic cards. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of their pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Be sure to sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes, special deals, and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, fast shipping, great customer service, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to help support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Okay, everyone, and we are back. Craig, tell us, why white weenie? Why have you been so focused on the prevalence of creatures in white? Uh, I think it, it sort of, it offers a lot of things 
that really nothing else offers. So the color white, nowadays things sort of change a little bit with uh, design philosophies. But over the years, white has been the color that has the best aggressive creatures. So you get the most bang for your buck out of your early creatures, your one mana, your two mana, your three mana creatures. Instead of like the green creatures, maybe they're a little bigger, but the white creatures have more abilities, more protection. Maybe they have protection from black or they have first strike where they have flying. And so there's a lot of ways to to utilize the early creatures. And depending on what decks and spells the opponents are playing, uh, you can kind of customize your deck to where if the, if the metagame is full of, say, red decks, you can play creatures that are protection from red or damage prevention type of, of cards. And then also with white, you get the ability to really deal with any kind of permanent uh, which none of the other colors can really do. So you can deal with artifacts and enchantments, just like, say, green can, but green can't really deal with creatures as well as white can. So white has cards like Banishing Light and uh, Oblivion Ring and stuff like that that can just deal with like pretty much any permanent. And so I like the versatility of white because I like having a game plan against sort of everything, whatever my opponent is doing. So I can adapt and adjust and, you know, not be just dead to to something. And then I also like being able to apply pressure early and not just pressure in the sense of like this really aggressive, fast creature that just attacks and blocks. I like my creatures to be able to do things and for me to make decisions involving my creatures. Something like, oh, all my opponents are playing Liliana of the Veil. Well, I want to play something like Doom Traveler or Thraben Inspector as sort of the natural thwart to that card. So it's like the, I'm still playing these creatures on curve, but I can pick my creatures uh, based on what the opponents are doing. So I feel like I'm sort of crafting a game plan against everyone, but there's a lot of thought that goes into selecting which of those creatures and which of those spells go in my deck. And then white also tends to have the best sideboard cards, and I like being able to uh, sideboard very potent cards for all the different matchups. So you get like really good graveyard hate, really good um, anti-artifact stuff in your in your white sideboard. And so that's the kind of deck that I like to play, a deck that can sort of curve out with creatures, but creatures that do things other than just attacking and blocking and have spells that can kind of deal with any type of permanent, whatever the opponent's doing. So I just really like the, the versatility of white uh, and what it provides. That's really fascinating when you speak to any professional magic player who has gone really deep into one color. One thing that I often hear is praise for that color, being able to do everything. Do you ever feel that white as a color identity, there, there's something that maybe it doesn't do? Like, like any color, there are some shortcomings. With white, it has some difficulties dealing with hexproof, for one, outside of a, a spell like Wrath of God. Um, sometimes you could sacrifice an opposing attacking creature, things like that. It's also not very good at drawing cards. So blue is kind of the card draw color. Uh, there's not a lot of ways to draw cards and not even a ton of ways to gain card advantage with white. Um, it seems like w whenever there's a white card advantage card, they, they end up banning it or stop printing it, like Armageddon or Stoneforge Mystic, things like that. They're like, oh, that's too good. <laughs> But we still have things like, I guess, Squadron Hawk and Spectral Procession and stuff like that. So we're not completely in the dark when it comes to drawing cards and card advantage. But that tends to be the weakness of white is that it's hard to, to gain that sort of card advantage that some of the other colors do. You talked a little bit earlier about the change in game design. It seems that card advantage these days are translated into Planeswalker permanence. All of the white Planeswalkers are really solid. Yeah, there's been some good ones. Gideon and Elspeth, there's been some some nice ones there. Um, some of them cost a little more than I like to play. It's like six mana for an Elspeth is a little much. Um, some of the Ajani Planeswalkers uh, are good at interacting in combat, like giving your creatures bonuses, but they're not very good at playing defense a lot of the time. Uh, I kind of like my, my spells to be able to play offense or defense, so that if I'm behind, being behind doesn't snowball, or instead I want my cards to catch me back up. So Elspeth is usually pretty good at that. Gideon's pretty good at that. 
So those are kind of my jam. I mean, I like Ajani, don't get me wrong. Uh, Ajani Vengeant, really cool. Um, but some of the, the Ajani's have been kind of, I don't know, a little, a little too offensive and lacking defense for, for my taste. Craig, of all of the abilities in the white color identity, exiling creatures has always been a mainstay. So Swords to Plowshares is quite a good card. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's actually my, my all-time favorite card. Uh, my second favorite is Voice of Resurgence. But my favorite is Swords to Plowshares. I feel like it really encapsulates uh, what I like to do in Magic. It's just a very cheap, efficient... It's actually the best creature removal spell ever printed. And it was printed in the very first set, Alpha. And so it's kind of always been around and it's always been the best. That's just sort of a card that I, I love to play. Um, it's very efficient at what it does. And you can play it in sort of any type of deck, whether you're a control deck or an aggro deck. And it's just... You can use it to, to save your own life total against a burn deck, like killing your own creature. You can use it on the opponent's creature to get rid of you know whatever their problematic creature is. It's just a really elegant, really cool card. And I like the flavor of it, too. Craig, how would you say that the white section of the color ply has changed over the years with game design? Okay, that's a good question. Um, there, there's a few things that stand out to me. Uh, one is that originally the, the sort of white ability was banding, right? Banding was, was part of the color philosophy where all the creatures would cooperate together and band together, whether they're attacking or blocking. And when they're banded together, it's sort of a greater force to be reckoned with. And they would sort of protect each other, almost like looking out for each other when they enter into combat together. That ended up being a too confusing of a mechanic, understandably. Um, so they got rid of it. it. It doesn't feel like they really replaced it with anything. They just kind of took that away from white. Okay, so now white just lost part of its identity. And then another thing that kind of I noticed happen over the years, uh, white had a lot of like, white is kind of the protection color. It's it's about healing and being able to prevent the opponent from from doing things, especially to your creatures um, and also to you. So they had cards like White Knight, those protection from black. And then they started giving white other protection, like Silver Knight, protection from red, and because those were kind of the enemy colors of white. For whatever reason, they decided to make protection a sort of evergreen type of mechanic, where all the colors were getting protection from their enemy colors. You had like uh, green creatures with protection from blue, and you had blue creatures with protection from red, and red creatures with protection from white. Originally, the only non-white creature with protection was Black Knight having protection from white. And that was just kind of a like to counterbalance the White Knight. It was like the White Knight versus the Black Knight. It was kind of a flavor thing. But really, the protection was just you know a white sort of mechanic. And then after a while, they for whatever reason they decided that protection from a color just wasn't a thing that they wanted to pursue once it was this evergreen mechanic. And so they kind of stopped doing that. But what they did, they, they took something from white and gave it to everyone and decided they didn't want everyone to have it. So then they took it away, but they didn't just give it back to white. They just took it away from everyone. So now white kind of lost its protection from enemy colors and it lost its its banding. And like now it also lost things like Armageddon as its way to deal with really big things for, like whenever White Weenie would deal with some like really big Lord of the Pit deck or something originally. Well, I can't really deal with that sort of thing outside of Swords to Plowshares. And so our answer to that was to just Armageddon so that you're forced to play with few resources just like I am. Like, I can't let you just develop all your resources. But now Armageddon wasn't fun. And so they just cut that out of the game. So now white doesn't really have a replacement answer to decks that just want to accumulate a bunch of resources and cast really big spells. And so there's a lot of sort of design philosophy elements that I feel like white has kind of gotten shortchanged. And even the, the identity of having the best small creatures with all the, the abilities... Like before, white had their two drop was like white knight. It, had, it was a two, two for two with first strike and protection from black. And red, in comparison, like it had a bunch of burn spells that fireballs, lightning bolts and such, but it didn't have a lot of good early creatures. Their best two drop was like iron claw orcs, which is a two, two for two with a drawback. 
But now it's like the red creatures are just as good as the white creatures early. So you have like Goblin Guide and Eidolon of the Great Revel. And it's like, well, those are every bit as good as the best one and two drop white creatures. So I kind of feel like white kind of lost its edge in that aspect as well. And now even like green can can kill enchantments. Uh, I guess it had tranquility before and it had crumble, which is, you know, it's okay. Uh, it, it just feels like white is kind of, you know, well, what, what, what are we going to leave you with as a white mage? You know, you're kind of, everyone else is getting their stuff and you're taking things away from me. Well, not me per se. All right, me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like some of those things I would like to see come back. Uh, maybe not banding specifically, but sort of give white its protection elements and give it the best early creatures again, like it used to be, and give it ways to interact to stop the opponent from casting really big spells. If it's not Armageddon, have it be something, you know? What do you think the future is in store for white as a color identity? Well, hopefully they continue to print really interactive creatures. So I'm not a big fan of creatures that all they do is attack and block. Even if it means, let's say, uh, they have some sort of ability that's relevant, like a, a protection from ability, some activated ability, or some ability that triggers upon uh, entering the battlefield or leaving the battlefield. I like my creatures to to have decisions be made, and not just decisions whether to attack or block, but also decisions on whether to enter into combat or whether to use their non-combat ability, and also decisions of deck building. Like, should I put this creature in my deck based on what I expect my opponents to be doing? I feel like a lot of the creatures specifically, they're, they're very mechanical, where they, they have a, a mechanic that's part of the set, and they say, okay, well, we're going to be tribal, like tribal vampires or tribal humans or whatever. So the, de- the deck kind of builds itself, and you just have to play with all of the vampires or all of the humans, and you don't really have any choices in deck building. Um, I don't like that. And I also don't like when all you're doing is giving a creature, like, making it a, a white, white one for a 2-2 two, two double strike with some, whatever the mechanic is, whether it's, what is it, the, the soul bound or... Give it the uh, one where when you target it, it gets plus one, plus one. Got the name of it. But instead of just making it uh, about uh, heroic, I think is the mechanic, um, I would like to see more variation where it's like, okay, this time we have Brimaz. All right, sweet. We have a three, four for three with like this interesting ability of making cats when it attacks or blocks. And like this other time, we're going to have maybe a creature with an activated ability. That's uh, pretty sweet. And uh, maybe another one that has an ability that you sacrifice it for some effect or some like large Doom Traveler type card. When it dies, you get token, a token or tokens so that then you have some play. If the opponents are playing a lot of removal spells, you have ways to gain advantage that way. So I like I, I hope that we come back to that where the, the white creatures are sort of have a lot of things going on and there's a lot jam packed into the small white creature because that was kind of part of the identity from the beginning. And I would like to see a lot of that play out more um, in future design. Yeah, I agree. I think that <laughs> definitely that value feeling that white has as a color identity we're missing that. I mean, these these creatures are getting a little boring. They're getting a little underpowered. And uh, I understand where, I don't know, maybe Watsi is trying to make other colors more interesting as well. But like gaining life and having first strike and vigilance just isn't enough these days. It's part of it. I, li- I like those things, but I like to also have other things as well. Special thanks to Michelle Rapp, Zach Brady, and Craig Wesco for sharing their knowledge and insight about the color white with all of us. Michelle is on Twitter at Ninox underscore Morepork. Craig is on Twitter at Brimaz for Life. And Zach is on Facebook and Twitch. I'll have all the links to their social in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode on white. I've been playing magic for over 15 years and I've learned so much speaking with Michelle, Zach, and Craig. This was super fun, and remember, this is part one of a five-part series. Stick around to the end of this episode to hear a preview of the next episode. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters. Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, 
Charlie, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Priscovi, Ryan, and Carl. Listeners, if you'd like to support the show, just head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and helps keep it running by paying for audio equipment, software, and server costs. Mostly server costs. <laughs> and now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your generous support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash PlayMTG. Special thanks to Dev for the shout-out on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play MTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Please be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts. And if you love the show, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Kitchen Table Magic is also on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast, where you'll find me tweet memes. Yeah, mostly memes. The show is also on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. Remember to listen to past episodes and be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic, the most responses I've gotten from my guests when asked, which is your favorite color, has been blue. Why is that? Blue is tricky. Blue likes to counter your spells. Blue wants to draw cards. Blue has dorky creatures that are unblockable and fly and will only slap you in the face for two. Blue may just say nope more than videos of spiders crawling out of bananas. There's more salt in a blue mage than the water surrounding their island. Jace, Magic's protagonist planeswalker, is blue, and in his final form, Jace the Mind Sculptor is better than all. The correct way to spell blue is B-L-O-O. What makes blue so derpy, salty, and wind-conditionless as it is powerful? Join me and special guests for part two of our five-part series on Wooburg, where we talk about Magic's favorite color to play and hate on, blue, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. <laughs>